I'll invite everyone else to find Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. So I mentioned earlier, as you're finding Hebrews 11, and I know many of you have followed the news, it is gut-wrenching and horrendous what our brothers and sisters are experiencing in Iraq. Um, It is shocking. It's horrifying. Our brothers, our sisters, brothers, sisters, they are us. We are them. I mean, we are connected in the global church. I mean, they, they are having to flee for their lives with just the clothes on their back and leave everything they've worked for behind. Um, they are seeing people they know killed. You know, men are hung, shot. Uh, they are seeing their women raped. They are seeing children beheaded because they're Christians. How in the world are they making it? How in the world are they hanging on to their faith? I mean, think, put yourself in that situation. If that happened to us here, how could we stand firm and say, no, I will not renounce Jesus Christ. He is the one way, the one truth, the one life. No, you can destroy my things. You can destroy my family. You can destroy me, but you cannot destroy my faith. How in the world are they doing it? Well, they are able to hang on to their faith and not let go because Christians are of those who have faith. Christians are not of those who shrink back, no matter the pressures. If you are in Christ, something miraculous has happened to you. You didn't just sign up for a new program of self-improvement. You had a radical heart transplant. And not your physical heart, but your soul, your, your spiritual heart. The inner core of who you are has been transplanted with a new one that believes in Jesus Christ as the Savior and the Lord. Now, all I want to do this morning is just remind you of who you are in Christ. I want to remind you of Hebrews ten thirty nine, which says, But we, like our brothers and sisters in Iraq, like our brothers and sisters around the world and throughout history who have encountered intense persecution, but we, we who are Christians, we who have been born again, we who have given our lives to Jesus Christ, we who have been forgiven of our sins by his blood, We who have sworn allegiance to him as our one Lord, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. That's who we are. We marvel at our brothers and sisters at how they can hold on to their faith. They don't do it because they're so great. They do it because Jesus is so great. And that same faith that they have, we have. Note that he's not saying we ought not to be of those who shrink back and we ought to be of those who have faith. He's saying we are those who have faith. We are not those who shrink back. This is who we are. Even if you don't feel like it. Even if you're weak. 
God is telling us, remember who you are. Remember what I've already done for you in Jesus. Don't fear that if that day comes, that that kind of persecution comes, that you're going to give up your faith. You're not going to if you are in Christ. We are not of those who shrink back, but we are of those who have faith. Now, we mentioned Doris Lowry had a knee surgery. It was a total knee replacement. Isn't that right, Richard? Total replacement. She has a new knee. Now, she's not able to get up and, and run suicides with it yet. If you know what I'm talking about, you run, you run, you run. It's the worst exercise ever invented. She, she's not strong in the new knee yet. She has a long way to go before she can really work with it and stand on it with strength, but she has it. It's not that she ought to get a new knee. It's not that she ought to live more new knee-ish. She has it. It's been done for her. And that's the same way Christianity works. You have it. You have this faith in, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, the transplant is complete. You have it. And it may be weak and you, you may need to exercise it and strengthen it. But praise God, we have it. Just like our brothers and sisters who, you know, I just have the deepest respect for them. And I just want to honor them. Those who are withstanding this persecution and are not laying down their faith in Jesus Christ. They have it. We have it. It's the same faith. That's amazing. That's who we are. So all I want to do is maybe a little faith rehab work to just strengthen the faith that's already in us. They just remind us of how this faith works. Hebrews 11 is the faith chapter in the Bible. If you, if you want to know about faith in the Bible, if you Google faith, it's going to send you to Hebrews chapter 11. Some call it the hall of faith because it chronicles the lives of all these men and women who showed extraordinary faith. It's the one most uh, clear definition of faith in Hebrews 11.1, 1, what we're about to read. So we're just going to think about faith a little bit. And what I want you to do is relax because what I'm not doing is saying, you faithless jerks, you need to pull it together and live like you have some faith. Look at our brothers and sisters over there. They make you look terrible. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is be encouraged. Be encouraged by what is in you. Be strengthened and remember the power that you have in you as you trust and believe in Jesus Christ. So, first thing I want to point out from Hebrews chapter 11. Faith beats sight. Okay? Faith beats sight. What I mean by that will be clear in just a minute. But read with me Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now, this is a very famous verse. I'm sure you've heard it. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's assurance and it's conviction. That word assurance has the idea of guarantee. I don't know what's the last really big purchase you've made. But it's always comforting if you can get some sort of a guarantee that if it fails on you or it breaks, you're going to be able to return it or get a new one. A guarantee is something you trust in in lieu of actual experience. So let's say it's a lawnmower just off the top of my head. You haven't yet experienced that that lawnmower is going to work well. You've bought it. It should. But you never know. 
So you get a guarantee and what you're trusting in isn't yet your experience of the lawnmower. It's the guarantee. That's kind of what this word assurance, the, the flavor of it, that's sort of what it carries with it. Conviction the, in the Greek, it has sort of the idea of proof. So here again is another word that indicates something you're trusting in, in lieu of direct experience yet. Okay. So if you're in a trial, the judge is going to make the decision guilty or not guilty. He wasn't actually there the night of the crime. What he is trusting in, what he is standing on to make his decision isn't his experience. It's the proof. Okay. So both of these words have to do with things you trust in before or outside of actual experience of the essence of what you're trusting in. Does that make sense? That felt very confusing as it left my mouth, but I'm just going to trust the Holy Spirit is going to arrange it in your memory so it makes sense. Now note what the assurance and the conviction is rooted in. Things hoped for, things not seen. Things hoped for and things not seen. One way to sum up what the Christian life is all about, you could say, I think this would be accurate. The Christian life is learning to live according to the unseen rather than the seen. One way to look at the Christian life is it's learning to live by faith in the unseen rather than reaction to the seen. I phrase it this way, faith beats sight. All through Hebrews 11, it makes reference to sight and what people saw versus what they chose to believe and put their faith in. We just got back from vacation. First leg of the vacation, we drove all the way down to Charleston for a wedding. And then right after the wedding, back up to the beach in North Carolina. Not a big deal. I know you guys have driven further than that, but we had two tired kids with us. Okay. And they had to ride around with me and Meredith pretty much all day before we could get out of town, running our last errands, doing some last visits, things like that. It was hard on those little, little kids. Um, we made it down there. It was not easy. Um, you know, slept, spent the night there, did the wedding. And I knew we were about to have another pretty big drive back up to where we we're going to be for the week. So I thought, actually during the wedding, I didn't do this during the wedding, but after the wedding, I pulled my phone out and said, Googled uh, I don't, something to the effect of fun things to do in the car for kids on a road trip. And bad reception, the only thing that I could pull up before I had to turn it off or else I'd be being rude at the reception was just one game, and it was paper, rock, scissors. Okay, who's played paper, rock, scissors before? Okay, I think everybody has played it before, you know. That's the whole game. So paper beats rock because it covers the rock. So they say. I think the... Paper PR people did a good job on that one because I don't think paper would beat a rock in reality. Paper beats rock because it covers the rock. Rock beats scissors because it crushes the scissors. Scissors beat paper because it cut the paper. Okay? We're all in agreement on the rules of paper, rock, scissors. Okay, so this was fresh in my mind. That's why I phrase it this way. Every time we approach a new day, a new situation in our lives, we're playing faith or sight. And usually we have the rules backwards and we think that sight beats faith. What I see, what I can touch seems more real than the unseen promises of God. So sight beats faith. And so we live by sight and not by faith. 
And we're ruled by our reactions to what we see. Our circumstances financially, our circumstances relationally, um, the fears of what might happen, fears of what might not happen, the things we can see. But what God is teaching us here, the essence of faith is, we've got those rules backwards. Actually, faith beats sight for the Christian. God's unseen promises are more real, more true, more sure than what we can see. Now, it's hard for us to get a handle on because our whole lives we've had the rules wrong. But it's true. The Christian life is learning to live by the correct rules. God's promises beat what we can see. Because how many times has your perception of your situation not even been right anyway? You know, your worst fears of what might happen and the worst case scenarios that run through your mind end up to be a figment of your imagination, just a shadow. There were things at work in the circumstances surrounding your circumstances that you could have never guessed in a million years. But God knew, and God was standing there seeing the whole thing, saying, just trust me, just believe me, just have faith in me because that is a better bet than having faith in what you can see and perceive from where you are down there in the midst of it. Now, you have this faith in you. So what about you? What is it that you see right now that you're tempted to believe beats faith? That you're tempted to believe, yeah, I know God said, fill in the blank, but I'm seeing this big situation and I just don't think I can trust in that right now. What is it for you that maybe God wants you to just trust him? And I'll give you an example because God gave us dozens of examples in chapter 11. I'm not going to read all of chapter 11, but I'd encourage you to read it this week. But in verse 7, he gives the example of Noah. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. So you're Noah. What do you see in Noah's situation? Well, you see dry skies, an arid landscape that as far as we can tell, has probably never seen rain before. You see a lot of people who do not understand this project you're about to undertake. Why are you building a gigantic boat in the middle of nowhere when we've never had a flood? So this is what he sees, but he chooses not to live by sight. He chooses to live by faith. So he believes God's warning of things, events as yet unseen. He builds the ark. And through that action confirms that, yes, indeed, he did live by faith and not by sight. Now, I have to believe that we'll encounter similar situations in that, as that. I don't think he's going to ask us to build a giant boat. But in a million little ways, he's asking us to make the same decision Noah had to make. Are you going to go by what you see? He could have, I mean, of his own mind, he would have never perceived that a giant flood was coming. He had to just go by faith in what God was saying. So where in your life... Do you have that decision to make if you're going to live by what you see or what by, by what God has said? You know, as Christians, we don't have to be enslaved to the visible. 
You know, we have connection with somebody who's up above all what we can see, and he sees everything, and he knows, and he's given us precious promises all through his word, and we can trust in those. So faith beats sight. The next thing I want to point out to you from Hebrews 11, faith begets action. Yes, I used begets so I could stick with a B, and I have another one too. Faith begets action. Faith causes action. You know, there's historically in Christianity, there's always been a debate as to how much of Christianity is about just believing and having faith and how much is about hard work, you know, doing good works. And both are woven all throughout the Bible. You know, we studied Romans for several years and Romans is heavy on the faith aspect. Just believe in what God has accomplished for you through Christ. There's another book of the Bible called James, which is real heavy on the work aspect. In James's point what I want you to consider is faith that has no works is dead because true faith always results in works. It always does. That's just like a, a rule of physics, spiritually speaking. Living faith always begets, always causes action. It affects our decision-making. It affects our spending. It affects our speaking. It affects our living in real ways. You read through Hebrews 11 and you see example after example after example of how men and women of faith acted on it. I'm just going to list them out for you quickly. So for Abel, faith meant offering an acceptable sacrifice. For Enoch, faith meant being taken up into heaven. For Noah, it meant building an ark. For Abraham, it meant leaving his home and everything he knew to go to a land that he didn't yet know yet. He didn't yet know yet. He ain't never did yet know about that land. (laughs) For Sarah, it meant having a child in her advanced age when she really shouldn't have been able to have a child. Again, Abraham is brought up. For him, it meant being willing to and actually almost going through with sacrificing his son Isaac. For Isaac and Jacob, it had to do with blessing the future generations of their family. For Joseph, it had to do with looking ahead and believing that God was going to deliver his people from slavery and making arrangements for that and where his bones were going to be buried. For Moses' parents, faith faith meant hiding him in a basket so he wouldn't be killed. For Moses, it meant choosing to identify with God's people instead of embracing the sinfulness and riches of the Egyptian culture. For the people of Israel, it meant crossing the Red Sea on dry land when the waters parted. And it meant destroying destroying Jericho just by walking around it and yelling. For a woman named Rahab, it meant welcoming Israelite spies, even though that endangered her life. And then he goes on in Hebrews eleven thirty two, And what more shall I say after laying out all these examples? And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign enemies to flight, Women received back their dead by resurrection. And then he goes on. See, faith leads 
to vigorous, real-life action. It's not sitting in a monastery meditating on what it means to believe. It means believing it and then acting on it. Believing God's promises, living in light of it. This is where faith gets fun and often terrifying. So where in your life might God be wanting you to believe him enough to act? I have a few ideas that bubbled up into my mind as I prepare for this sermon. I wonder if there's anything the Holy Spirit's bringing to your minds right now. Where in your life are, are you faced with something that, in terms of what is visible, seems to contradict what you've heard God say? And what action might you need to take if you truly believe what God has said more than what you see? Because faith beats sight, faith begets action, and finally, faith beckons eternity. Had to reach deep for that one to stick with the B, but maybe it'll be a little more memorable. Faith beckons eternity. Faith welcomes eternity. Faith stretches over all the temporary stuff of this world into eternity. I used to not understand people who were eager for Christ to return. You know, you've said it and you've heard people say, I just wish Jesus would just come on back. I used to not understand that at all because I was having so much fun. But I'm starting to understand. You see the news footage of what's going on in Iraq. You, you see the news footage of what goes on locally. You get to know more and more people of what goes on in people's lives and the misery. You start to understand why some people begin to long for eternity, to just get weary of this, of this world. You know, Jesus told us that in this world, we're going to have trouble. He said, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. But in the meantime, we are going to have trouble. You are having trouble right now. Some of you, you have had trouble. You know what I'm talking about. You will have trouble. I am fully expecting me and my family, we're going to have trouble. We've had a very easy go of it, really, in comparison to some folks. But I don't expect it to always be that way. In this world, you'll have tribulation. You'll have trouble. Because this isn't our home. Look at what the author says in verse 13 of chapter 11. After he outlines a couple of those people I just mentioned and all their great works of faith. He says, these all died in faith. They held on to their faith to the end. These all died in faith not having received the things promised. What? I could hear my kids saying, well, that's not fair already. All these died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. You know, all these people of faith, as they grew stronger in the faith that God had given them, 
as they grew closer to God, as they grew to trust him more and more, as they grew to see the things of earth grow strangely dim, more and more and more, their eyes were lifted from their little circumstances around them off to the horizon of what was coming. More and more, their treasure became invested in eternity and not the present. More and more, their heart became invested in eternity instead of the present. And so they died, many of them, without ever receiving any obvious rewards for their faith. The prosperity gospel did not come true for these folks. They believed, but they seemingly didn't receive. Now, I stopped short when I was reading, when I started in verse 32, you remember a couple minutes ago, and I was reading when he said, what more shall I say for time would not permit? And he listed out all these awesome things people of faith did. Well, I stopped just before verse 35, or in the middle of verse 35. The list continued, though, and listen to other things that people of faith have experienced. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Tortured. They could have been released, probably if they had renounced Jesus Christ, but they refused. Why? Not because they fully expected Jesus to kick down the door and save them from any further physical pain in this world, but because they knew what was ahead of them was a better life. And it was way more precious than physical comfort. Way more precious than escaping the, the terror, the heart-pounding terror of being tortured. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in the skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains. There's nothing new under the sun. This isn't the first time. What we're seeing in Iraq is not the first. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. So I wish I could stand up here and say, you have this faith in you. That's awesome. Embrace it. Strengthen it, live by it, walk by faith, not by sight. Let that faith lead you to action and your life's going to be awesome. I wish, uh, pardon me, wishes I could say that, but the fact is we live in a fallen world where sin has cursed everything from the dirt all the way into humanity, where our bodies get sick and frail and we grow weak and we die where our sin destroys our own life and the lives of those around us, where huge masses of people are deceived into worshiping demons and think that if they kill Christians, it's a sure ticket to heaven. This world is a mess. And in this world, we will have trouble. We will have it. I know some of you are thinking, I am having it now, I know. But remember, faith, this faith that we have, those of us who have been made new in Jesus Christ, it is assurance and it is conviction. It is guarantee and proof of things hoped for and things unseen. 
Where is our hope ultimately? It's in the return of Jesus Christ and the coming kingdom of God. That's a remote idea to us most days when we're just trying to survive the daily grind of the kids and the work and the bills and the responsibilities and the health issues. But ultimately, that's our hope. So it stands up here apart from circumstances, transcending all circumstances here on earth. Meanwhile, all of our other little hopes, that's capital H hope, all of our lowercase h hopes, as time goes by, they fade and they disappear. Eventually, they all go away. But that one doesn't. That one stays. Let me remind you of what we are looking forward to. This isn't a hope that stretches into tomorrow. If I can just make it today, we have hope that his mercies are new every morning. But it's a hope that even goes further than that. Not just next week, if I can just make it through this week. It stretches even further than that. Not just next month, not just next year. It stretches even further to the very end, eternity. And here's the prophecy of what is to come. In Revelation 21. John's given a vision of what's to come, our ultimate hope. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. That's glorious. That's our hope. Don't let your faith be shaken if a lesser hope disappears. A family member dies. A job is lost. Your health deteriorates. Your friend betrays you. Don't let that shake your faith. Jesus told us that stuff was going to happen. Right now, we are living in the former things that will pass away. Right now, we're living with tears and death and mourning and crying and pain. Okay, we just need to embrace it. But we have a Lord that sees us through. We have a faith that abides even through those things, that transcends those things. No one else in the world has that. We have been given in Jesus Christ every spiritual blessing we need. We have been promised that he will not tempt us beyond what we're able to withstand. We're promised that he knows our circumstances, that he loves us, that there's no good thing he would withhold from us. And he proved it because he gave his son Jesus Christ for us. So what else wouldn't he give? We are told and promised that he will work all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purposes, even the very worst things. He's composing into a symphony of blessing for us. We're promised that nothing can separate us from his love, no matter how bad it is. The very worst this world has to throw at us only drives us closer to his love, closer to our hope. So take heart. 
But we are not of those who shrink back. We are not of those who shrink back. We're not facing persecution. Maybe we will. Our brothers and sisters are. We're facing the slow erosion of our motivation to trust and follow Jesus through comfort and distractions and other small hopes. But even in the midst of that temptation to shrink back, we are not of those who shrink back. That's not who we are. We're not going to do that. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. We are of those who have faith. We are of those who have faith that beats sight. We are of those who have faith that begets action. We are of those who have faith that beckons eternity. Let's pray. Father, you told us that in this world we would have tribulation and trials and trouble. Lord, I just ask that right now you would strengthen our faith. Strengthen our faith in your goodness and your sovereignty. Strengthen our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and his good and clear and perfect direction for our lives. Strengthen our faith in the salvation you've brought for us through him. Or we confess before you that in spite of our sinfulness and our weakness and all the ways in which we fall short, we confess with confidence and boldness that we are a people of faith because you have made us so. So Lord, by the power of Jesus Christ, help us to stand firm. Help us to live by this faith. And please help our brothers and sisters who are being killed and slaughtered. Help them to stand firm. And if there's any way we can stand with them, if there's any way that we can be partners with them, show us how. In Jesus' name, amen.